throughout the course of my life and travels and stuff, I've been in places where tornadoes are a problem. Right? I lived in Ohio for a couple of years, and I very distinctly remember our tornado drills. We would have to go out into the hallway and get in, up against the wall and like little modified child pose and hands over our heads and duck and cover, right? That was, we had to find a place of, of safety and hopefully come out victorious over, over the tornado. Lived in Arkansas for a little while. Craziest thing about Arkansas, Tornado Alley, nobody's got a basement. All the houses are built on cement slabs. So the prevailing wisdom there is hopefully you have a bathroom in the center of the house. You go in your bathtub and pull a mattress over you. Recently, I was in the Denver airport. The tornado shelter, there's a big sign, tornado shelter, men's room. Ladies, you're out of luck. Just, it's, in the, it's in the men's room. I don't, know, I don't know what to say. But it's not just natural disasters, right? Um, as we're all too aware, people do horrible things to each other. I dated a girl in high school. She lived in a house, I don't know, it must have been built in the, in the 40s. She's like, you want to see something cool? And she reaches her hand into this pile of pack of Sandra. I'm like, what are you doing? And she opens this door. There's a handle in there. And underneath it was a bomb shelter. It was a concrete room with an air filter in it. And there was nothing in it anymore. But, I mean, it was, there was a bomb shelter built into this house. And now we have, we, not we, not me, some people who have the resources to do this have panic rooms, right? A, like a fortified place in their house they can go that has communication outside so they can stay safe and also look for help to come come out victorious over whatever, that, whatever it is they're hiding from. So this idea of wanting to stay safe, wanting to, to beat the elements, to, to become out victorious on the other side of what people would try to, try to inflict upon us, um, we find that we turn to lots of different things. But Jesus is, is the one, he wants us to turn to him. He wants us to turn to him. And the, like I said, I mentioned the name of God that we're going to talk about this week is the Lord is my banner. And it's going to take some unpacking for, for us to get to. But what I hope you guys um, leave with today is, is this, that God calls us to rally around him where he can provide victory, safety, and community. Right? And that word rally is key. He wants us to come to him for safety, victory, and community. So the passage we're going we're gonna to be looking at is in Exodus, it's like 17 chapters into Exodus. So a little quick background. Exodus, the people of God, the Israelites, are in, basically in captivity. They're enslaved, oppressed, beaten, killed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh looked around and said, there is a lot of these people, and if they should ever ally themselves with any of our enemies, we're going to be in real trouble. So he started systematically trying to, trying to take care of, of that problem. So the people cry out to God. God raises up an unlikely hero and this man named Moses. He calls and commissions Moses to not only be his spokesperson, but to lead the Israelite people and to bring them to safety out of Egypt into the land that was promised to their ancestor, Abraham. So through a slew of supernatural, miraculous events, God frees, through, through Moses, God frees the Israelite people from Egyptian captivity. 
And it's known as the Exodus. They make their way out of Egypt. They're caught between, you know, Pharaoh's army is chasing them. They have a body of water in front of them. They're, they're pretty much trapped. God parts the body of water. They go through. The Egyptian army chases them. The waters collapse on top of the Egyptian army, and the people, and the people are free. This, the Exodus is the single most sick, significant event in all of, of ancient Israel history. It's referred to time and time and time again as remember what God did, remember what God did, remember what God did. And he brought the people victory and he brought them safety and he brought them out together. So we get, this is, the Israelites spent a couple hundred years in captivity and slavery. They're tired, they're worn out. And this is hundreds of thousands of people that Moses is leading through the wilderness. They're not glamping, right? They don't have somebody come and making them lobster mac and cheese for dinner. This is like, this is hard, a hard trek that they're on. And they're tired and they're not really organized yet. They haven't figured out how to live as, as a community of people. So this is where we pick up the, the account that we're going to look at today. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The Amalekites are like distant cousins of the Israelites. If you go back in the family tree, they trace back to Esau, who was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's brother. So Esau went one way, Jacob went the other. The line goes through Jacob. But the, the, that's not really the, the dispute. The Amalekites just kind of became this semi-nomadic raiding people. That's, that's what they did and they attacked them, right? Little, little Bible lesson here for you. You have the big numbers, right? Those are the chapters. You have the little numbers. Those are the verses. You also have something called cross-references. They're little letters that you will see periodically in the text. Those are cross-references. If you follow those, you will gain a lot more information. All we see here is that the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites, if you follow those cross-references, this is from Deuteronomy, just two verses. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So this is like, this is radical evil, right? This was inflicted upon a people. The people had no choice. They did nothing to bring it on themselves. There's another cross-reference, the same passage. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up out of Egypt. They ambushed them, right? They laid in wait, and when the stragglers and the people who were really tired and really weary, when that's all that was there, they attacked, and then they attacked them from the back, and they kept, they kept attacking. So God says that he is going to he will be forever fighting against the Amalekites. In ancient um, Israel tradition, the Amalekites become an archetype for evil. This is the ongoing battle between God and good and evil. All right. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand up on the hill with the staff of God in my hands. This is the first time we hear of Joshua. Joshua is the guy who takes over after Moses dies and leads the Israelite people actually into the promised land. Uh, if I were Joshua, I would be like, what's up, Moses? I'm going to fight, and you're going to go up and stand on the hill with your staff? 
that doesn't sound that doesn't sound quite right here's the thing Moses and his staff that staff is what God used to part the waters that allowed them to cross in front of the Egyptian army that staff in the passage immediately before this Moses bangs the staff on a rock and out comes water because the people were without water and they were getting cranky and they were grumbling so God says go bang that rock and I'll give them water so what to us like that doesn't really seem quite fair Moses is up hanging out that staff and Moses are an important piece of this victory actually the most important piece of this victory so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill Aaron is Moses's brother Hur is his brother-in-law so Moses didn't go up there by himself as long as he held up his hands the Israelites were winning but whenever he lowered his hands the Amalekites were winning this is, we're not really sure exactly what the significance of his hands being raised, but most scholars think it's a show of like prayer, asking God for help in this battle, and also uh, a show of dependence upon God. We recognize we need you, God. We can't fight this battle on our own. We need you to fight this battle. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained, remained steady until sunset. Folks, we have victory, right? But we still have battles to fight, and they're gonna be hard. Moses had to sit down. Right? Sometimes we have to make adjustments. We, we have a plan, and this is the way we're gonna do something, and we get tired, right? We're doing the right thing. We're doing what God asks of us. We get tired. It's, that's part of of the deal. It doesn't mean we live our life a thousand miles an hour with no margin. It just means that this is hard, right? Life with Jesus isn't pixie dust, unicorn, roses, all that stuff. It's victorious, and it's not alone, but it's hard. And then Aaron and her held up his hands. We weren't meant to do it alone, right? He had one of his, he had his brother and his brother-in-law holding up his hands as he was sitting on the rock, I mean, it's quite a, quite a picture, right? But with their help, he was able to continue to intercede before God for the people that ended up assuring the victory. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. This is the first time we see any reference to God telling somebody to write something down, right? Go, go write this down. He wants Joshua, he wants to make sure that Joshua knows that God is going to continue to fight the battle and God will be the one that brings the battle against Amalek, that brings the battle against evil to its conclusion. Moses built an altar there and called it, the Lord is my banner, right? So throughout the Old Testament, people build altars and they name them to, to signify something amazing that the Lord had done. So the Lord won this battle miraculously that Joshua and, and the men were fighting. So we get this idea of the Lord is my banner. And again, victory, safety, and community. And I just want to go back to a little bit of what I talked about, about in communion, to tie Jesus and, and Moses and the idea of the banner together. There's a very famous interaction between Jesus and one of the teachers of the law in chapter 3 of John's gospel. 
between Jesus and, and Nicodemus. And Jesus says this. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Right? So the banner was, it was a military insignia. It was a, a flag on a pole that would get hoisted up. It would lead the people into battle. Sometimes they would hoist it up when everybody needed to gather together for information, right? Something important needed to be shared. They would gather around it for safety. They would gather around it to remember who they were and where their authority came from. That insignia was their authority. If a soldier was out in the field and he got separated from his, his other troops, he could look for the insignia and he knew that's where he would find his people. So we have this idea of something being raised up to signify this is, this is who you are, this is what you fight for, this is what gives you, this is what gives you victory. Jesus, again, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. The people, the Israelite people were traveling. They were in the wilderness, right? They had a snake problem. So God tells Moses, when you go make a snake out of bronze, put it on your staff, and if someone gets bitten, you hold up your staff and tell them to look at it, and they will be healed. And they will be healed. Jesus is lifted up on a Roman cross, and for people who choose to look to him for identity, for authority, for victory, for safety, for community, they will be healed. They'll be forgiven of their sins. Right? The the Bible is one story that points to Jesus. And it hopefully in the process points us to Jesus. Right? That's the ultimate victory that we have. I know a lot of times we read passages like that, like, you know what, Tom? That's great. But like stuff is going sideways in my life right now. What what is that? What is that what? How does that even work? We, we have victory now in a relationship with God in that we are not alone. There's a name of God that we're going to talk about closer to Christmas, Emmanuel. It literally means God with us. We have God with us. We are never alone. We have the reminder that God is for us and that he is with us and that he understands us. We started talking about this a little last week from Hebrews chapter four. For we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus gets you. He doesn't just get you like the perfect version of you. He gets you in your weaknesses and in your temptation. And he understands you. And you know what? He's still for you. You are not alone. Sometimes that not being alone is just having the being encouraged, having the strength to keep fighting the battle. Right? The fact that God gives us victory by definition, definition means that there's a battle to be fought. And I um, was not, I had, I had a up and down week, some really down, down moments, and I was at the gym and I ran into Adriana's brother, Pastor Moses, and he and I have been developing this, this friendship. And um, he said, you know, how's, how's everything? I'm like, oh, some up, some down. You know, unfortunately, more down than up this week. And he looked at me, he's like, you know what? He's like, our job 
is obedience. God's job is results. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Spend time with him. However, what if that looks like for you? Work on your relationship with him. Read, pray, and let him take care of the outcomes. We're not alone, even in those, those annoying battles that we have to fight daily. There is something bigger than you and me out there, something vastly, vastly bigger. And in the Bible study that we have on, on Friday mornings, we were talking about God's greatness and how big that he really is and how huge the, the universe is. But scripture tells us that God can mark off the universe in the span of his hand. I can't mark off the span of a basketball in my hand. Like, God is immense and vast. His greatness is infinite. That should be an incredibly humbling thought. Right? We as people tend to think an awful lot of, our, of ourselves, think that we'll always be able to figure out what's next and figure out how to, how to fix what, whatever is wrong. I think when we, when we meet Jesus, I think we're going to be shocked at everything that, that we don't know and everything that he was holding in place and holding together as we go through, as we go through life. But it should also be an incredibly encouraging thought that that great big God, that transcendent God is also imminent. He's close, he's near, and he condescends to be small enough to know the details of our lives and to be concerned about the details of our lives. There is something bigger than you and me out there, and his name is Jesus, and he loves you. So another little part of a Bible lesson for you. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, was written in Hebrew. Shocking, right? There was a group of 70 scholars, 200 B.C., 300 B.C., somewhere in there. They translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Sometimes it's signified with an L and two X's for the 70 scholars that, that did, did that work. But when they translated the Lord is my banner, right, the Hebrew phrase was Jehovah Nisi, they translated it as the Lord is my refuge, right? That, and it's the Greek word cataphuge. So the Old Testament, 19 different times, has this word cataphuge in it. And sometimes it means fortress, sometimes it means hiding place, sometimes it means refuge, sometimes it means stronghold. But it's always talking about God. God is our fortress. God is our refuge. We can turn to him. He will keep us safe. There is something out there that's bigger than you and me. The victory now can also come in miraculous ways. The pages of scripture are full of miraculous things. Healings, provision, circumstantial things, right? This room is full of miraculous stories of God providing, of God intervening, of that peace that passes understanding, being with people in the midst of just crazy, unthinkable things. One of the coolest ways, and maybe one of the hardest ways to get our mind around the miraculous victories that, God's, that God provides comes from this verse in the book of Romans. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
Now, this doesn't mean that God brings bad things on us so he can turn around and make them, and make them good. It means that no matter how hard a struggle or how tragic an event, God can somehow take that and work it for our good and for his glory. Right? Now, this is, this is one of those verses. This is not a great counseling verse. Somebody's in the middle of a tragedy. I wouldn't throw this verse at them. It's been done to me, and it doesn't feel very good. This is the kind of verse that I would encourage you to memorize, right? You're in a good spot, and you think about what this means about God and who he is and how he acts, and you bury this in your heart and in your mind. And the next time you're going through something, Holy Spirit might bring that to mind. Like, okay, I, this is hard. This is really hard, but I know God is still at work. Doesn't mean God has stopped working. Doesn't mean God isn't who he says he is. The victory now comes in our miracles. And the last thing is that the victory now can come through other people. God calls us to rally around him. He provides community. I was talking about how the banner, the military insignia, a troop, if he gets separated, he looks to it and he goes and he finds his people. So Jesus, um, Jesus defeated sin and evil and he provides victory and safety Jesus is always with you he's always with you therefore wherever you go Jesus goes with you you bring the possibility of victory and safety with you you could be somebody's miracle right you could be the way that God provides safety and victory. We are wired to need each other. Physiologically, we cannot identify ourselves and we cannot grow beyond infancy, emotionally speaking, without other people. We have, we're coming out of a time where we were required to isolate and it took its toll. And there are folks who are having a hard time coming out of that and re-engaging right some folks were had a hard time engaging prior to that and the isolation made it worse the required isolation made it worse we need to go to people and and meet them where they are right we this community responded in a great way when we were forced to go online, right? And some of us had to work online and some of us had to go to school online and some of us had family happy hours online, right? And it was an okay substitute, but it's not the real thing. It's not the real thing. Last week we were here setting up, Brian Sturbis was here early helping us set up. And he's like, Tom, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. He's like, you don't, you don't seem like yourself. And I didn't really think anything about it. And afterwards, I was kind of thinking through the morning, and he was right. I had had a hard conversation with one of my sons, and I was totally preoccupied with it. That's, that's why we need to be around each other. Some, for somebody to look in my eyes, for me to know that they recognize me and they see me. Um, so there's the, the people who 
who struggle, right? Maybe, maybe it was a struggle for you to get here today. And I'm so glad that you made it. And I'm so glad that you fought through whatever you had to fight through to get here. Maybe you know somebody who it's a struggle for them to go to work or to go do something social or to come to church. Right? Step in. Let them know that they're let them know that they're seen. Or maybe you're you're watching at home, right? You're watching online later on. I would encourage you to do whatever it is you need to do. Take whatever small step you can take. Even if it's just saying to somebody, you know what, this is a, getting out is a struggle for me. So that you can that you can re-engage. <clears throat> Sometimes our schedules get the better of us. Sometimes we choose poorly. It saddens me to think about the number of times I've had the conversation where somebody over the last 20 plus years, somebody says to me, Tom, you know, I feel, really feel disconnected. And at the same time, they're not showing up to church. They're not extending invitations to anybody. They're not even accepting invitations from, from people. You guys, we need each other. Jesus is always with us. We can bring safety and victory with us to other people who desperately, desperately need it. All right, so with all that being said, what's the banner that you rally under, right? When things are going sideways, when things get hard, even when things are good, where do you look? Do you look you go online and you check your balances and your 401k? Do you look at your finances? Do you look to a relationship? I, there are some amazing people in this room, but the most amazing person in this room is still limited by the laws of physics. I understand. <laughs> All right, Siri. Is she, is anybody, like, usually if somebody says something, there's somebody else in the room that feels that. Is Siri alone here? <laughs> um, right, so people are limited by the laws of physics. Even if there's somebody that you trust and that you love and that you know loves you and cares about you, they can't always be there. And there will be a time when they can't, they can't be there. God is a, has a funny sense of humor. I've joked about using that Corvette that used to be out there as a sermon illustration, and I wrote it into my manuscript this week, and now it's gone. But <clears throat> I guarantee you, I would like 98% guarantee you that that Corvette was somebody's banner, right? It used to be, I mean, now it's, it literally doesn't start, and they're dragging it across the country in hopes of sometime, somehow reviving it. I don't want to have to revive my banner. Right? I'm going to the banner to get revived. In Jesus' words and deeds, he tells us that he is a banner that will last forever and that will never fail and that will always be with us and for us and provides victory and safety and community. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your victory. Thank you for the sacrifices that you made uh, for your own glory and for our good. Jesus, would you make us the kind of people that rally around you when all the other distractions that we have, all the other things that we could turn to. Holy Spirit, would you call us to you?
And as we move towards that banner, move us closer to each other, Jesus, that we might help each other to victory and to safety. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.